you may be wondering why HOAs were ever invented in the first place. Stay tuned and learn. Hello, friends and neighbors. I'm Ray Harwood, your HOA coach. Thanks for listening. You know, if you're listening to my podcast, chances are you've got a strong opinion about whether HOAs are good or whether they're bad. And if you're a new listener, you probably want to know which side of the fence I'm standing on. Now, here's the short answer. Today's concept of HOAs, it's a good one overall, but the historical reasons for the creation of HOAs quite honestly has a very dark side to it. But in my opinion, today's HOAs have a legitimate purpose. But most associations are not run the way they should be. You know, like a business whose focus is on the community and your members, who, by the way, are your neighbors, and you ought to be treating them with respect if you are on your HOA board or if you are an HOA officer or somehow working with your HOA. So how did HOAs get in the mess that we have today? Well, knowing a little bit about how HOAs were initially created and why they continue to be, you know, air quotes, a thing, might help you understand. And if you understand more about HOAs, Hopefully you'll be better prepared with how to deal effectively with them. So here's the thing. HOAs have been around a really long time, and in that time there's probably been more reasons to hate them than to like them. I mean, I kind of have to just agree with that. If you read about the history of HOAs, you'll find a lot more propaganda, though, than actual facts, since much of what you're going to find if you look for HOA history, is posted probably on the site of a management company or an organization that's very pro-HOA. So they're obviously going to not give you the full picture in most cases, I would think. So I'm going to cover three basic reasons why I think HOAs were formed based on some research, but it's in my opinion and kind of based on what I've been able to dig up. Now, then in my next podcast, something for you to look forward to, I'm going to talk about what I think about is wrong with HOAs today. Now, today's podcast is about what's historically gotten us where we are. But, you know, I'll talk about why things are still bad and why I think, you know, there are things that we can actually do to make them more neighbor-friendly and, you know, owner-supportive. So why were HOAs formed in the first place? Um, You know, here's my three reasons. Reason number one really is in the 1940s when the first HOAs were formed. You know, according to this website from Spectrum Association Management, you know, the, the first planned community was Levittown, a community built in Long Island in the late 1940s, intending to offer low interest homes to veterans. So, I mean, that sounds like a pretty nice idea. Um, You know, according to the website worldatlas.com, you know, it says Levittown refers to the seven large suburban developments of a planned community initially created on Long Island in the United States. The development consisted of more than 17,000 detached homes 
that were built to house thousands of veterans who returned after World War II. The project was undertaken by the home-building firm of, of Levitt and Sons. That's where we get Levittown from. And these guys apparently had a specialized in creating dwellings for upper middle class in New York's Long Island, the website uh, says. Now, <laughs> here's, a, here's a quick piece of useless trivia for you, uh, you boomers like me and, and music lovers. Now, you've heard Billy Joel's song about Allentown, you know, supposedly about his hometown. Sorry. Billy Joel actually grew up in Levittown, and he didn't like the way the word Levittown sounded in in his song. And so Allentown sort of rolled off, you know, uh, at any rate. <laughs> um, you know, he grew up in Levittown, birthplace of the planned community. All right, you know, reason number two of why HOAs were formed. You know, something that's not really an HOA, but is the basis in my opinion, for how HOAs got started, is the governing document generally known as the CCNRs, which is short for Covenants, Con- eh. Covenants, Conditions, and Restrictions. See, that's why we say CCNRs, because nobody can pronounce all that. This document's a legally binding contract on the purchaser of the land, and at one point was used to exclude, quote, certain undesirable people, unquote, from being able to purchase the land now when the when the land was first sold or forever into the future. Now, there's a website called thebalance.com that has uh, an article that, that I'll quote here. CCNRs sometimes prohibited the sale of the property to homeowners who weren't Caucasian, prior to the 1960s and before implementation of the Federal Fair Housing Act. These racist documents are still in the public records, but they're invalidated due to state and federal laws. Nonetheless, some HOAs have been known to disregard these rules even subtly. So, you know, it's, 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 it's not good what people tried to do, and, and you know, we can go back to history all we want, but I'm just trying to provide some historical perspective. Now, back to that worldatlas.com article about Levittown. It says this. The Levittowns famously involved a lease policy, which stated the tenant agrees not to permit the premises to be used or occupied by any person other than members of the Caucasian race. Minorities were not allowed to purchase homes or live in the suburban communities. So that's that's kind of it for the uh, you know, the website article. Um, you know, even today, though, you know, after the restrictions in Levittown in New York, and apparently there there are several places called Levittown, one in Pennsylvania, and, and a couple other places. But even after the restrictions being declared unconstitutional, the population of Levittown, New York, is 82% Caucasian, 7.5% Asian, 8% other or two or more races, and only 1.2% black or African American. So, 
Uh, you know, that's that's reason number two, and I'm just going to leave that where it is. Take it as a historical perspective of, of where things got started and, and how CCNRs really were abused back in the early 1900s. So why were HOAs formed? Reason number three. Now, you won't find this reason really mentioned very often in the mainstream HOA supporters like the Community Association Institute or CAI, which... I belong to, but don't necessarily buy into a lot of the stuff that they have on their website. And, um, you know, I, I use it as an educational opportunity, and I also belong to their exchange forum, and I get to meet and talk with a variety of HOA people with, with, a, with a wide variety of, of views. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I learn from that. So it's, it's not an altogether bad organization, but I've got some disagreement with a couple of things. But anyway, you know, um, builders actually like HOAs because it helps them sell houses. Now, I know that may sound ludicrous, but you know, hear me out here. It, it's <laughs> it, it's true. If 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 we didn't have HOAs, you know, builders would. <clears throat> if we didn't have HOAs, I'm going to get something to drink here. If we didn't have HOAs, builders would have a lot harder time selling houses. There was a time some time ago when cities and counties would put in parks and playgrounds and picnic areas, parks and playgrounds and picnic areas, oh my, and especially, you know, in larger developments, but even in smaller developments, but local governments at the municipal and county levels started to feel the budget pinch of increasing population growth, which was often not accompanied by a substantial revenue growth. Now, putting all this stuff in cost money up front, but maintaining them continued to cost money. And, you know, as prices increased and, and inflation and all that, the cost to maintain these simple amenities, amenities, man, I got to get my mouth watered this morning. The cost to maintain these simple amenities escalated. You know, even the planting of trees and shrubs, if that's all you did, you know, required ongoing maintenance, including irrigation, fertilization, trimming, you know, if trees fell over, you know, they'd have to be cut out. Uh, if there was a windstorm or something, uh, you know, if they, if they died due to disease or something like that, they'd have to be taken care of. So some level of costs. At any rate, local governments just couldn't keep up with the pace of growth and really sort of decided to stop subsidizing the growth with, quote, free amenities in the area. Now, builders, obviously wanting to attract buyers willing to invest their future by buying into a beautiful, lush, well-equipped community, they were forced to pick up the slack, really. You know, they invested thousands of dollars in landscape and playgrounds and other, quote, common areas that ultimately had to be maintained by someone. Who? Well, that someone was the owners themselves. You know, we're going to put this all out here for you. We're going to charge you more for your homes because we had to pay to put all this stuff up here. But now you're going to have to take care of it. Um, and as we all know, you know, we're homeowners, but we have bills to pay and we have our own lives, our busy lives and our kids and our meetings and our, you know, working overtime or whatever it is we do. We don't have time individually to go out and take care of this. So who will take care of it for us? Well, the homeowners association does that. Um, you know, 
where does the HOA get its money? Uh, well, the HOA gets its money by requiring you to pay some money, either monthly or quarterly or annually, into a fund that the association typically run by a board of directors, and that's a whole separate topic for our, for another podcast downstream. But, um, you know, the, the, the association really represents the owners and the board and, you know, whatever other officers or people that are working for the association really work for the owners. And, well, you know, the requirement for all of that is in the CC&Rs. What, what happens is the developer buys this huge plot of land, um, you know, which really doesn't have typically many restrictions on it. It might have a restriction that says, you know, if you ever strike gold out there, you know, the previous owner gets all of that or you know, the mining sort of things. But then when the developer develops the area and puts in, in my particular case, Rio Crossing here in the West Valley of Phoenix, you've got 345 homes here. Um, they are the ones who create the CCNRs, which specify that a homeowners association has to be established and maintained. And in fact, it's possible, but it's extremely difficult to decide to abandon your HOA. Um, and that's a topic for another podcast as well. So I'm not going to get into that. But at any rate, you know, putting it in the CCNRs, which is the contract that runs with the land that your home sits on, really kind of forces you if you're going to buy a home most anywhere these days to put up with, deal with, or maybe participate with your own homeowners association. So now most cities have zoning ordinances that require developers of new subdivisions to provide extensive landscaping at a minimum. I've seen the plans for Rio Crossing here from 2004, 2005, and the requirements, you know, there, there's, there's a lush plan with f- flowers and shrubs and trees. And I can tell you that um, the previous boards haven't done a good job of uh, taking care of those resources, which we're trying to fix now. That's another story. <laughs> Plenty of stories here. Stay tuned, folks. All right, so so here's, here's uh, I'm going to kind of go to a little summary here in just a second. All right, so. I've really kind of given you the the, the, the quick end here in uh, 10 or 15 minutes on, on my take on the three reasons HOAs are now a big deal and how they got there. First, they were a good idea back in the post-World War II days in an effort to provide good homes and Levittown for American soldiers returning from war. Now, secondly, well, Levittown, the second reason, it just gets me. Levittown provided good homes for good old American white families, <laughs> but it wasn't the first place really to contractually restrict who could own and live in the neighborhood. Uh, I've I've seen some of these historical CCNRs that are still on the books and you know hopefully being ignored now in in lots of places around the United States. 
And then the third reason really is that builders want to attract buyers, but municipalities and counties no longer provide the attractive spaces in new communities, and it really forces the developers to implement this planned development uh, HOA and includes the HOA to manage things after the developer has left the community. So there you go. So next up on my next podcast, I will talk about what I think is wrong with HOAs today and what I think should be done to make them more neighbor-friendly and owner-supportive. In the meantime, please be friendly. You know, be friendly and wave to your neighbors. And I'm your HOA coach, Ray Harwood. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a creation of Ray Harwood and my company, Good Clicks LLC. All content is my own opinion. I am not a lawyer. Nothing nothing I ever tell you is legal advice. Uh, You need a lawyer to understand your situation and advise you on your situation. There are plenty of HOA attorneys out there. There are fewer HOA attorneys who are actually on the side of the homeowner. Most of the HOA attorneys are out there on the side of the association because that's where the money is. But at any rate, (laughs) thanks again for listening. I'm Ray Harwood, your HOA coach. We'll see you next time.